You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast. I'm Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and today's show comes to you just a few days before the start of the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine, the last really big event before the NFL draft, or at least the last time that that NFL scouts, general managers, coaches will get to see most of the top draft prospects in one place. And here to help me break down the combine, talk a little Giants draft is Eric Crocker of the Locked On Draft. Eric, thank you very, very much for uh, for stopping by. Oh, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, so uh, so busy, busy time for you guys. Uh, just by way of, of background, you had a, a brief uh, cup of coffee with the Jets, played in the AFL. Um, you've uh, doing a lot of stuff uh, on the on the Lockdown Network these days. So uh, you're a busy guy these days. Yeah, um, you know, I'm thankful for, you know, just different opportunities I've had, whether it's with the Jets or other, and it kind of helped me have a different perspective on the game of football. And I try to bring that to my analysis as, as much as possible. And you're co-hosting Locked On Draft now with, uh, I, I'm not sure, I forget who your co-host is these days. Uh, Ryan Tracy. Yeah, my guy, Ryan Tracy. He's also the host, one of the hosts of Locked On Chiefs ah, on the okay. Locked On Network. Okay. Locked On, uh, of course, uh, folks might or might not know that that I was I was part of Locked On Giants with Patty Trainer. Yeah, she's seems still like, doing it. Seems like eons ago, Patty and I are good friends, but... Uh, but I, I I'm over here now. So, so now, now Patty and I are, you know, we're, we're like battle bots. Now we're competing with each other. So, yeah. <laughs> so Com- competition brings out the best in everyone. So. Friend, friendly warfare, I guess. So, uh, so let's, let's talk a little giants and, and let's, let's start at the cornerback spot since, uh, you know, since, since that's your, uh, your specialty, I guess, since that's your position, so Giants have the fifth pick and the seventh pick. And increasingly, I think we're seeing people favor Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati over Derek Stingley out of LSU. Um, and I'll just start with that question. If the, if the Giants are going to pick, let's say it's at seven, if they're going to pick a corner with one of those two picks, which one of those is your guy? Oh, man. You know, it's early in the process right now. But right now, I have Sauce Gardner as my CB1. I just think there's certain things he does on film. And I love Stingley. Uh, from what I've seen, I know Stingley had a really big freshman year. 
And I don't know if people are holding on to the freshman year and saying that's what he still is. There's been some ups and downs since then. He's had some injury issues as well. Sauce Gardner has the body, you know, 6'3", 200-pound frame. I, I think he's terrific with his feet and hands at the line of scrimmage. Uh, I haven't seen any issues running vertically with guys. You know, like all big corners, I think he's someone who can get a little handsy at time. But for the most part, he has a lot of traits uh, physically that are imposing. I, I think the biggest thing that I've really liked about Sauce Gardner is the mental aspect of his game. You know, uh, we can talk about the just his ability and all that. But there are certain things that he does where you can tell that the game is processing extremely fast from on the field. And I think that's what makes him a good corner more so than anything else. Interesting. Are you worried at all? I've seen some people say, well, he, he didn't play on a regular basis. He didn't play against top level competition. Are you worried at all about about maybe his transition to the NFL and, you know, facing top guys on a week to week basis? Yeah, I'd say if you were comparing the two guys, right, you know, Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner, you know, there's it's a little unfair in that sense, because the more you play against top tier talent, the more you're just liable to have plays that go against you. And we've seen that from Derek Stingley uh, uh, Stingley going up against, uh, you know, Smith, Devontae Smith out of Alabama, where he had to play against him multiple times. And both times I thought Smith got the better of Stingley, right? Well, Sauce Gardner didn't have to go up against guys at least week in and week out to that extent. So, you know, you hear some of the stats where, you know, Sauce Gardner has never given up a touchdown in college. He's never given up more than 13 yards to any one receiver. We also wasn't asked to guard Devontae Smith for an entire game where you're likely to give up more than 13 yards, you know? Right. So from that standpoint, I think you can have your questions if anybody has any type of real questions about South Gardner, I'd say, hey, man, go back to, you know, watching him against Alabama. And Alabama at that time did not have John Mechie. He, he was already out, but he did have to go against Jameson Williams. And I thought he played extremely well going up against that type of receiver. And, 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 and the thing that I watch for most with cornerbacks is, you know, it's how, how does he feel, right? Does the cornerback look like he's uncomfortable uh, guarding his receiver? And what I mean by that is, you know, is he like, does it look like he's fighting for his life, right? Just think about maybe dropping somebody in the deep end of a pool and trying to tell him to swim to the shallow end. You know, does it look like he's fighting the water or does it look like he's swimming effortlessly? Now, I thought we're watching Sauce Gardner play against Jameson Williams, who I think is a terrific receiver and might have been the first receiver taken off the board if not for the ACL injury. We'll see how far he falls. But Sauce Gardner held his own. I thought he was under control. I thought he was comfortable. I thought he was reading his keys extremely well. You know, there was one play watching him, and I talked about the mindset that he has, but one play where, you know, watching it live on TV, I'm like, oh, man, two-to-one read, tremendous. Made a tackle at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, terrific job. And when I say two-to-one read, uh, he used two-to-one read, pressure key, visual key, where he got his hands on one, watched him down the line, saw two coming out on a flat route, and squeezed the guy, then came off of one and made a tackle. Terrific play. But then when I see the all 22, it's even more impressive because I realized this is man coverage. This is a single high safety. It's not too high. Like I was thinking when I was watching the live copy on television, it's single high. He's squeezing him, but has his guy controlled, sees the flat route and just makes a really good football play and things like that. It's hard to really teach someone those type of instincts. So I'm not saying Stingley doesn't have it, but I think that, you know, just from being able to stay healthy, uh, some of the, plays I've seen Stingley give up it's really close but I probably would go with Sauce Gardner right now 
let me dive into more film and maybe as the time by the time the draft comes around i have a different perspective on that yeah it's interesting i i'm guessing that stingley at the combine will test really really well i'm sure gardner will also but you know plain and simple i think the concern for me with stingley is this is 2022 his best film is from 2019 so you're you've seen it but it's sort of like when I when I talk to Giants fans about Saquon Barkley, can you call Saquon Barkley a superstar running back in 2022 because he hasn't been that player since 2018? So if if you draft Derek Stingley, you know, my concern is simply, are you getting 2019 Derek Stingley? Are you getting a player that deserves that top 10 pick? And I mean, how much of a concern is that for you that we haven't seen it in that long? I mean, that's a big question. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, same kind of situation out of LSU, a guy named Greedy Williams. And everyone was really high on Greedy Williams as a freshman. And, oh, he's going to be the best in the nation. And then by the time he comes out, uh, you know, he ends up going in the second round. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Stingley, but just in the sense of kind of having those questions after a really strong start. And since now, I, I do think a lot of what Stingley is going off of now is from his freshman year. I mean, we're talking about someone who has played kind of limited snaps or at least limited healthy snaps since that 2019 season and still have him pegged as going top 10. And I, and I wouldn't push back on it. I think it's a tremendous, uh, you know, talent. But, you know, I think as you, you know, say the, the questions that are there, I, I'd agree. You know, one other thing I kind of left out about either Stingley or Sauce Gardner or anyone else that might be uh, up there for that CB1 in this class, scheme has a lot to do with how well somebody will play out as well. Right. A couple of years ago, I thought C.J. Henderson was the top corner in the class and Akuda was after him. But even then, I mean, both of those guys, I thought they were tremendous athletes, but they had totally different games. And when you watch who they were pegged to go to, my like, man, if Akuda goes to three like he's being projected to do, that's not going to be good, especially if they plan on using him like they use Darius Slay. Right. Darius Slay was somebody who they asked to play man press, follow guys around, go shadow Keenan Williams, go shadow anyone that's the top guy. Well, I didn't think that was Okuda's strength in college. He was a, a press bell type guy. I thought he read concepts down extremely well from a press bell. Uh, he could do some man things, but I wouldn't ask him to shadow guys. And they asked him to shadow guys and everybody's saying he's a bust. Well, I don't think he's a bust. I just think he's not being used to exactly what his strength is. And I think with Stingley and Sauce Gardner, regardless of who I have at CB1, a team using them to their strengths, that's going to ultimately depend on how well those guys turn out. You know, that's really interesting that you went there, Eric, because that is always one of the things that as we all sit here and we try to figure out who we think is cornerback one, who we think is offensive tackle one, we have no idea what's going on in NFL draft rooms and NFL front offices, and we have no idea exactly what their schemes are going to look like and how they want to use a player and, and that's such a big part of it is getting the player that you want that fits what you want to do, not maybe necessarily, you know, sometimes it might be a guy with a slightly lower grade on your board that fits what, what you want to do better. And, and all of that kind of leads me into talking about this changeover that the Giants are going through. New GM and Joe Shane, new head coach, Brian Dable new defensive coordinator in Wink Martindale. And I've, I've seen people say, well, Wink Martindale runs a 3-4. 
Patrick Graham runs a three, four. So it's the same scheme. So it's no big deal because the Giants already have the personnel to run it. And, and, and that's about the farthest possible thing from the truth because Patrick Graham's a more conservative coordinator guy that plays a lot of zone, a lot of, you know, try to disguise coverage and keep things in front of you. And Wink Martindale is ultra aggressive guy that, that uses his corners in, in single coverage a lot guy who plays a lot of single high safety, sometimes cover zero. And I guess where I'm going with all of that is there's a lot of debate, not necessarily about the giants needing to pick an offensive line, but if they're a lineman, but if they're going to pick a defensive player in the top 10, knowing Wink Martindale's history, would you lean toward a cornerback toward a Gardner or a Stingley, or would you lean toward the best edge guy on the board, say at seven? So obviously I cover the 49ers and I'm a 49er fan. And I've seen the 49ers use really a different philosophy than most teams. They haven't really prioritized the cornerback for whatever reasons. I, I don't know if it's just because of the way the draft has fallen, maybe where they were picking and who was available, whatever the reasons they haven't really prioritized the cornerback position, but they definitely have poured in a lot of resources to their front. And when you look at some of the results the 49ers have had over the years defensively with how they've won games, how they've had one of the top defenses, it is not because of the outside guys. Now, also, we talked about Winkle Martindale and him being more aggressive with the cornerbacks. 49ers are maybe the, I don't want to say they're the softest uh, in the league in the sense of usage of the cornerbacks, but you know, they'll play some press, they'll play some single high, but they'll play, they'll sit off with some cover for it and keep a lot of things in front of them and let their pass rush get to them. And the way that they've done it, did a tremendous job of holding teams like the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs, one of the most explosive high-scoring offenses in the league, to 17 points. And they struggled to get that. Uh, the next week they played uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, albeit in the snow or cold weather, but 10 points. And then turned around and played the Rams and it took everything in the Rams to get 20 points, which was their lowest scoring total in the entire playoffs. So, you look, and they held the Rams to 10 points in the regular season um, in one of the games. So, if you look at their philosophy and how they've done it, it has been more so of prioritizing pass rush, play coverage behind, and do some different things with disguising. And, you know, six uh, best team against the pass in the NFL. I don't think anybody would look at their cornerbacks and say, oh, they're, they're six best because of the cornerbacks. It's I think it's a lot of it has to do it because of the front and how, you know, the uses of that. So, you know, I, I do think if, if it's me and the way the NFL is going and how just difficult it is to be a one, a shutdown corner or two, just play the cornerback position in the NFL in general, I would lean more towards pass rush and, and really have the best pass rush I can get with good coverage uh, backers uh, behind them. And my outside guys, depending on the scheme that I want to play, can kind of be more just serviceable than have to be this elite shutdown type guys. I hope that makes sense. I kind of went on a rant. No, it, it absolutely makes sense. And it's an interesting debate. It's an interesting philosophy. And I'm really interested to see where it lands for the Giants with a new defensive coordinator, new GM. Because historically, when the Giants have had top-tier defenses, you know, when they had the the Super Bowl winning defenses, those defenses were built the way that you're talking about. Those defenses were Strahan, built front Imanura, to back. Strahan, Imanura, Tuck, JPP. Yeah. They were built front to back with, as you said, mostly serviceable defensive backs. Right. 
and Webster and right. all those guys. I remember those guys. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, you know if, Jabril if Wilson. If, yeah. Right. If I'm if I'm the giant again, if you want to go corner, go corner. And I won't knock anybody for doing that. But I mean, I would look at a guy like at pick seven, David Jabo. You know, I think mm-hmm. he is terrific. I think he consistently moves quarterbacks off of their spots, makes him uncomfortable. He has an array of pass rush moves. He'll give you spin moves. He'll give you speed off the edge with nice bend. I think there's an argument that when it's all said and done, some people might look at him as the better prospect to Aiden Hutchinson, who I think is, is a terrific prospect as well. But, I mean, that, that's a guy there. I would take him over in Corner's class. Wow. Interesting, because I do mock draft trackers every Friday, and Ajabo is the guy who who seems to be mocked more often than anybody else to the Giants at seven, not at five, oh, wow. but at seven. I know that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know he's one of those guys that that people debate as to whether he's a top ten at this point as to whether he's a top ten pick or not. I mean, you expect obviously we're talking combine a little bit too. You expect that he's a guy who, who might who might test extremely well at the combine. I think so. Now, you know, a lot of my analysis is off of film. I'm not as analytical as some other people. So, you know, I I could look at his combine numbers and that might, I think the combine stuff just changes how much money you make. I don't think it changes if someone likes you or not. So there is a chance that he could fall a little bit based on uh, maybe not putting up elite numbers or whatever people think, Hey, this is a strong suit. And if he doesn't test it is the expectations of that. Maybe he can, you know, we don't want him or whatever. Maybe that some of that goes on. But I think ultimately, man, like when you look at his pursuit and what he does to quarterbacks and, and when he beelines to them, uh, it's it's very impressive. You know, I was watching Vincent Gray, cornerback from Michigan, and I I couldn't really focus on him because I'm like, who the hell is this guy that keeps screaming off this edge? Who is this guy that keeps moving the quarterback? Who is this guy that keeps chasing quarterbacks out of pocket? Wow. How did this guy beeline from here to here and hit the quarterback on the sideline? And it's David Ajabo. It was him mm-hmm. every time. And it was so impressive. And one time, maybe he was a little undisciplined with his rush. It was a screen pass against him. But he got to the quarterback so fast, even on the screen, that he basically knocked the ball away. I mean, it, it was just – it was so impressive from that standpoint. So, you know, it's, maybe, maybe he falls further. Maybe some teams start to like him even more than where I'm at with him, but I, I think he's a terrific prospect. It's interesting. You know, now that we're talking about pass rushers too, I have to ask you about uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Do you understand some of the talk about him tumbling down the draft board a little bit? I mean, if, if you consider, you know, tumbling to five or six or seven, you know, to be a real fall, but do, do you understand, you know, some of, you know, some of the, the stuff about him saying maybe he's not going to be, you know, the first or second pick. I, I think there's a chance. And, and obviously we won't find out anything from the interviews. But when, when you listen to some of the things he said, uh, I think it was the week of the championship and talking about Alabama and how they're all about football. And he's thinking about life after football and those type of things. Sometimes guys can question, you know, how much you, you want it. Now, I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I, I look at him as a prospect. I think he's a terrific prospect. But for guys that have to hand over, you know, millions of dollars to him being the top pick, you know, we're talking about close to 40 million. I think, you know, they would be right to, you know, question, hey, how is this guy going to work? What is what is his work ethic going to be once we hand him this money? How all in on football is he? And we 
we've heard some of these same conversations with with other guys, you know, before. But I, I think it's very important when you're investing that amount of money into someone. How you know you kind of want football to be there, they're all they're everything, whether it's right or wrong. That could be the you know, from a human element of things. It's like, man, how dare you criticize someone for having other things that they want to do in life and be and aspire to be more more than just a football player. I get it. But from my standpoint, if I'm the one giving someone millions of dollars, 30 to 40 million, I want to know that they are all in on being the best football player first that they can be. And, and uh, you know, from that standpoint, I think there will be some questions really based on his uh, uh, the comments that he made during the national championship week. So I think the interview process will be really big for him to kind of talk about, hey, you know, no, this is what I meant by that. And no, I'm all in on football. And if that checks out, I don't think there's a reason why he shouldn't be a top guy. Maybe some people might say, well, he's not as great against the run. You know, maybe he's not as stout against the run and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, man, it's a passing league. Uh, you got to affect the quarterback. You got to move the quarterback off his spot. And I think he does a terrific job of doing that. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Talking about the, uh, the passing league, the other side of that is, of course, protecting the passer. And, of course, we know, looking at the Giants, we know the struggles they've had forever and ever now trying to put together an offensive line and I look at it and I think most people look at it and they you look at the Giants and you have you have one offensive lineman on that roster that you would bang the table for and say you know he's a guy that's got to be part of our future and that's Andrew Thomas the left tackle Um, so you know for me whether they use a pick at five whether they use a pick at seven um your offensive line has to be a priority, you know, it, in whatever way they choose to, to, you know, to address it. But I'm curious, most people, I think, have the top three offensive tackles. They look at it as Neil, Equinu, and then Cross. Do you, do you see that group the same way? Yeah, I think that, I mean, and I think another guy that's climbing the charts is Penny, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he's someone that people are really high on as well. You know, I, you look at this, really just the front in general, whether it's offense or defense. I mean, I, I could see the first six picks being all guys in the, that play in the trenches, you know, and I think the offensive line, I think there's going to be a run on that. I think there's a ter- terrific class, um, even down to some guards that might go a little bit later, like, um, you know, Green out of Texas A&M. So, you know, uh, New York Giants team, 
I think the biggest issue, and they said that they have not done a good job of really preparing Daniel Jones for success in the sense of what's around him. They're not, they haven't been setting him up for success, you know? And I think a big part of that is the offensive line. When you watch him, he's constantly under duress. He's constantly being rushed. And that can mess up your, your mental psyche on the field and how you're processing. You know, imagine, I call it your time clock, right? Uh, I think consistently his time clock is going off. And even when he does have good protection, he's so kind of, you know, beaten that he's still playing fast in his head. That's going to make you inaccurate. That's going to make you misreads. I think that's a big issue with going on with him because when you look at Daniel Jones, if you just watch him throw the ball, he throws the ball well. You can see the type of athlete he is. He runs extremely well. The movement, he, I think he fits the mold of what you want from a modern-day quarterback. But when everything you've done is so sped up because your offensive line has been so poor and it's hard to watch a New York Giants game and not see that, I think you really have to address the offensive line. And when you look at some of the guys that are here right now that are going to be at the top of the class, you have to take one of these guys. And I think they all have their different skill sets. Right? I think they all have their different abilities. I think Neil is a guy you see, he's the, you know, the big six, eight, 350 plus guy who is a big wall for guys to get around. I think Cross is another guy that, uh, he, you know, his past sets are extremely good. I think he anchors extremely well. Uh, Equinu, he might be a guy who I think when it's all said and done, potentially might profile more as a guard. We'll see how long he is. He's already listed at 6'4". If he measures in at 6'3", you know, we'll have to see how long his arms and stuff. But most tackles have been, you know, 6'4", 6'5", and up. Uh, we'll see if he kind of meets that threshold. But I think you definitely uh, – you don't want to reach for a need, but I think the, the need matches uh, the top of this class and what that is off the offensive line. So if I'm New York Giants, I'm definitely looking – towards some of these guys at, uh, at the top, especially with the fifth overall pick. I love Equinu. I just, I love the attitude that he plays with, to be honest. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what the physical measurements are going to be. I just love the attitude. I love the physicality. Um, talking about the top of the class, do you see Cross as a top 10 guy? I think, I think I know the answer, but do you see him as a top 10 guy in this draft? I, I do, but I think for him is going to be, you know, is he a top 10 Guy, uh, if he's a guy worthy of a top 10 pick, I'd say, you know, yes. Will he go top 10? That's a different question. Because again, pinning, the more people are watching the guy from Northern Ireland, like he's climbing up charts. And when you see how he plays, I mean, he's nasty. He's big. He moves well in space. Uh, I love the way he finishes blocks, not just in the, the run game, but the passing game as well. Uh, I, you know, he has more length than some of these other guys. Where Cross, I think Cross, the, the thing with him is he's a little lean. Right. You know, he's hovering around 300 pounds, six, five. He's more of the longer limber guys in this class pinning. I mean, he's a big six, seven guy, but he's like 325 pounds. He's going to be massive. And if he moves well when testing, I mean, this is a guy that's going to just only continue to climb. Now, big thing with him is going to be, you know, the level of competition. You know, who did he play against uh, week in and week out? I talked about guys like Derek Stingley having to go up against all of the SEC receivers every week. Well, you know. Penning didn't have to do that at Northern Iowa, I, I believe it is. But there was one game where I'm like, you know what? This might be the best talent he played against. How did he look against these guys? And it was against Iowa State, and he was dominant. He was mm -hmm. dominant. So hopefully that game answers some of the questions about or concerns about maybe the level of competition he played at. But he's a guy who, if the Giants took him at five, I really wouldn't be at all surprised. Wow. Interesting. I always have this thing. I don't, I don't pretend to be a scout. And I don't pretend to be able to 
analyze guys' hand placement and and their footwork and and all of those things the way that the way that guys who played at the higher levels and the way that guys who have really trained you know to do that can do it. I try to watch enough film just so I know who players are, who I I kind of get an idea who I like and who I don't, you know, so that I can kind of speak somewhat intelligently about some of these guys. And you're talking about level of competition. And it's funny because if I don't have a lot of time or I don't know a lot about a player, the thing that I always do is I go find the game they played against Alabama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what I, I go find the game they played against Alabama or against Georgia. And I watch that. Well, Which yeah, is- uh, that's my go to as well. Uh, LSU, Alabama, like if I'm watching, like say a couple of years ago, I, I'd be, you know, watching and evaluating cornerbacks. Well, I want to see them play against Alabama or LSU. If they played against them, I'm 100% watching that thing because those are the guys who are going to challenge you the most. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, again, talked about a kid coming from Northern Iowa. You know, it's hard to find them play against that type of level of competition, even some of the freakish athletes that Alabama might have. Like, you know, even some of the guys, like, let's say, Siler, uh, the guard out of Georgia. Well, what game am I going to put on first? It's going to be the national title game against Georgia, uh, Alabama. Then I'm going to go back to their conference championship game against Alabama. Like those are the games you're going to watch because you know, Alabama has the big dogs up front, you know? So yeah, I think, I think typically you definitely want to lean on, you know, the best competition that they played, what it looked like. And also, you know, use that just in context and look at other things and just maybe take away some challenges that they had in those games. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I watched Rashawn Slater a year ago and all I had to do was watch him play against Chase Young. That's like, yeah. I don't need to watch anymore. That's all I need to do is watch him play Chase Young to know how good this guy can be. Or at least what the upside is, right? Right, right. So right. even if there were some inconsistencies in other games, you know, hey, I can reference this game against Chase Young and Ohio State, who typically have multiple good pass rushers. If he did good in that game, and that shows the upside that he has, hey, maybe that translates to the NFL. And for Slater, who is one of the top, not just rookies, but really kind of one of the top players as a rookie, uh, you know, it translated extremely well for him. So let's turn the topic to the combine specifically. And, you know, players are working out in shorts and T-shirts and they're and they're doing some bench press stuff. But it's not actually football. It's, you know, it's testing that 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 hopefully, you know, equates to things that they'll have to do during games. What do you look forward to most, you know, when when these guys work out at the combine? You know, just what, what they look like next to the other guys. You know, there's some really tough things, and we talked about this on another podcast, but, you know, a lot of things that go into the combine, you know, everybody looks at the day that they're on the field, but, you know, they don't really realize the grueling process it is even before you get to that point. You know, before that, they've been poked at, pried at. Uh, you know, they have, you know, multiple interviews, really a ton. I mean, sometimes meeting with, what, 15 teams in a day, sun up to sundown. Uh, you know, they have these crazy uh, medical checkups. You know, I remember, you know, when I was going to sign with the Jets, my my uh, physical was three hours long. You know, that that's that's a long process of people just testing you, uh, seeing how flexible you are here, seeing how this past issue might have been a shoulder injury, knees, whatever it is. And then maybe having to do recheckups on the same thing, depending on what came back, EGK test on your heart, uh, what might come back from that. And just a stressful process it is to feel like you have to answer every question the right way and then finally get to the field. I think, you know, seeing how a guy handles all that, you can maybe uh, take away from that the type of player he is 
and or a person, and then if they're still able to perform at an extremely high level, I think there's something to that. You know, I go back to some of my private workouts with some NFL teams and Philadelphia Eagles, you know, flying in there. It's just me and it's 70 guys from a front office looking at my every move. And you know, one off step here or there can be to determine if this team signs you or not. And for these guys at the combine, a, a bad step here and there in your 40 yard dash can cost you millions of dollars and the pressure of, of that. So I know a lot of people call it the underwear Olympics, but uh, I think there's a lot to it to be able to perform at a high level in that type of situation. There's a lot more to it than, than what people see, you know, when they watch the workouts Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, on the NFL network, there's, and I, and I sometimes think that, that it's all the things that people don't see that wind up, you know, making more decisions in NFL front offices. Right. No, correct. And, and learning about the player, the person, you know, we talked about uh, maybe, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and, and his, you know, things that he's excited about, you know, after football and whatnot, but a big part of it, too, is, you know, why do people end up being bust? A lot of times it's not because they lack talent, right? All of these guys possess an immense amount of talent, especially guys that are taken in the top 10, 20 picks uh, first round. Uh, if they flame out, a lot of times it's not because a team got the evaluation on the, the, the on-field part of the guy wrong. A lot of times it's the mental aspect of finding out who that player is uh, once he gets millions of dollars is still going to perform at an extremely high level or prepare at a very high level, right? Uh, you know, the situation that you put that player in, are they set up for success? Uh, you look at just this past draft, and there were five quarterbacks that went first round. Well, Trevor Lawrence, who's everybody says is a generational prospect, or, you know, even Zach Wilson, they went one and two. Well, they both went to kind of, you know, no disrespect, but crappy situations. And they didn't have the success of maybe a guy like Mac Jones, or even a guy like Davis Mills, who somehow ended up being in a better situation than even those guys. So, you know, that's the tough part about it, trying to project how well they're going to do. But a big part of it can be finding out who the player is. And you find out a lot about them during the interview process at the Senior Bowl. I mean, excuse me, at the Combine. All right, really last thing for you, Eric, you know, looking ahead to, to the Combine, to this week. Are there some guys, you know, heading into this week, just, just two or three guys that, that you can think of that you're really, really curious about, you know, about what they're going to do, you know, this week at the combine guys that guys that you think that this could really, you know, swing, you know, as you said, those millions of dollars one way or the other. Yeah. I think the first guy that stands out to me is probably Roger McCrary. And obviously, you know, I pay a lot of attention to cornerbacks, but Roger McCrary. And because I thought his film was tremendous. I thought it was really good. Uh, cornerback out of Auburn. Uh, the way he challenged himself again, I go back to, hey, how did you play against Alabama? James Williams, uh, John Metchie, I think they're both terrific receivers. Thought he held his own. He was maybe targeted 12 times. Thought he did a terrific job of covering them all over the field, whether it was on the outside, whether it was in the slot, covering slot fades, uh, you know, down the field, vertically pushing routes, breaking up passes. You know, he's a good press guy. You know, he could play some off. Thought he, you know, struggled a little bit in kind of fighting through traffic a little bit because they played him in so much man in that game. So there were a couple of big plays he probably was uh, hit, dinged with. But I thought from a, what I'm seeing on film and analysis standpoint, terrific. Well, he goes to the senior bowl and he measures in with below 30 inch arm length, which is crazy. I don't even know if I've ever seen that. I mean, the <laughs> teams, a lot of teams, they want 32 inch uh, length arms. If you have less than that, you know, 31, all right, a little short, um, you know, for a cornerback, but whatever. 
anything less than that, and especially in the 20s, that's alarming. That's going to be alarming to these scouts. So I think for him, a big part of the process is going to be, well, not the biggest corner, 5'11", 186. Some people are going to automatically peg him as a nickel guy, but does he have outside uh, ability? On film, he does, but I think him running a 40-yard dash, that's what's going to make him a lot of money if he can run well. If he runs in, those, in the 4'4 four, four range, he could potentially be a day-one pick. If he runs in the four fives, we might see him go late day two. And I think that's unfortunate for a guy who I think his film shows someone that's really good. All right. Hey, appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today, Eric. Why don't you, you know, let people know all of the different places where they can, uh, where they can hear you, where they can find your work. Yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. I'm always posting about different things I'm doing. I know this is a Giants podcast, so you don't want to hear about my Locked On 49ers podcast, but Locked On NFL Draft. Uh, it's a daily podcast. Uh, five days a week, come at you, myself, my co-host, Ryan Tracy. Uh, also, I'm on with John Schmelt uh, on uh, New York Giants podcast. It's, it's a draft show, but obviously it's kind of a lot of the following is uh, dra- uh, Giants fans. So you guys check that podcast out as well. With, you know, is myself, John Schmelt and uh, Tony Pauline. All right. Hey, thank you very, very much. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Please take care of yourselves, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com Flagship. This is a paid advertisement.